Hey everybody, this is Steve Carroll, and you're listening to the Ambasic Podcast. Today we're doing a topic that has been suggested by a few listeners, an episode on electrolytes. In order to make this relevant to the ED, today we'll talk about one of the two most common electrolyte disorders that we see in the ED, hyponatremia. In the next episode, we'll talk about hyperkalemia, probably the second most common electrolyte disorder that we see. The management of hyponatremia and hyperkalemia can be confusing because everyone has a different opinion on how to manage it. So today, I'll talk about my views on managing hyponatremia, and the next episode will be about hyperkalemia. As always, this podcast doesn't represent the views or opinions of the Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, or the Fort Hood Post Command. First, let's talk about hyponatremia. Here's the one thing that you have to keep in mind about hyponatremia. As long as the patient is in the ED, the best thing to do about it is nothing at all. Well, maybe not nothing. Let's say that the best thing to do is to not try to correct it. The only time we would be looking to actively correct someone's sodium level in the ED is if they're actively seizing due to a low sodium, or if they're really altered, and we know that the patient's sodium is the most likely cause of it. Other than those two situations, the best thing to do about hyponatremia in the ED is nothing at all. The reason why I'm stressing this point so early is because you can get into some real trouble if you start trying to fix lab values and lose sight of the patient's clinical situation. Let's back up a bit and talk about the usual situation in the ED, where the patient is stable and doing fine. Then we'll talk about all the fun and exciting critical care related to severe hyponatremia. Hyponatremia can present in a variety of ways. Sometimes we find it while we are working up another chief complaint, and other times the patient has nonspecific complaints like weakness, nausea, confusion, fatigue, or headache. So let's say that you have a patient in their 80s who is alert and oriented, who is coming in for generalized weakness and fatigue. The patient isn't seizing, and they aren't altered. You did a chemistry panel, and you found the patient's sodium to be low. In the U.S., a low sodium would be 135 or below. So let's say that this patient has a sodium of 130. The first thing you need to do in this situation is to stop and throw on the brakes. Ignore the actual sodium number and forget about trying to fix it. The next thing to do is to water restrict the patient in the ED. To be on the safe side, you should put in a nursing order to make the patient NPO and tell the patient yourself they can't have anything to drink by mouth. Some of these patients may be complaining of a lot of thirst, but giving them free access to water may make the situation much worse. The next step is to do some investigating. In a patient with hyponatremia, the first thing you need to ask is whether this is the patient's baseline sodium level. Does the patient always walk around with a sodium of 125 and they can tell you that? Try to look back in the patient's medical records and see what their most recent sodium was on their last set of labs. If you find three sets of labs from the last three months, all with a sodium of 125, then that really isn't concerning. That patient may even be discharged safely from the ED if they came in for something unrelated and got a chemistry checked from a triage protocol or other order set. If the patient lives at 125, and they are now 125, then that really doesn't make me worried. To continue on, let's say that you look back in the patient's medical record, and either you can't find any labs in your hospital's medical record, or you find that the patient's sodium last month was normal at 135. Now we have established that this hyponatremia is new. The next thing to do is to look at the patient's medication list. In most cases of hyponatremia, 
the most common culprit is a medication. Most of the times, it involves starting a new medicine, like a thiazide diuretic, or maybe the patient recently increased their dose of a medication known to cause hyponatremia. Thiazide diuretics, such as hydrochlorothiazide, are the most commonly used medication that can cause hyponatremia, but the SSRI drugs can cause it as well. SSRIs include medications such as Prozac and Zoloft, also known as fluoxetine and sertraline. The street drug MDMA, also known as ecstasy, can cause hyponatremia since patients tend to drink lots of water at rave parties, and it also causes an inappropriate secretion of antidiuretic hormone, which causes the body to retain excessive amounts of free water. Hyponatremia can also be caused by volume depletion caused by vomiting or diarrhea. Another broad category is anything that causes the patient to leak fluid, such as congestive heart failure or liver disease. Renal failure, adrenal insufficiency, and hypothyroidism can also cause hyponatremia. Finally, patients with severe alcoholism can get hyponatremia that is often called beer potomania. Beer and other alcohols don't have a lot of electrolytes in them, so when you drink a large volume of alcohol, you can eventually disrupt the kidney's ability to excrete dilute urine, so you retain lots of free water that causes hyponatremia. The next thing to ask about is any history of cancer or any red flags that could indicate cancer. These red flags include unexplained muscle or bone pain, back pain in an elderly patient, especially if it wakes them up at night, increased fatigue, or night sweats. Lung cancer is notorious for causing hyponatremia, so ask about a history of smoking. The next step that we may need to take in the ED is to stop any offending agent, although this will most likely be a job for the inpatient team. Your job is to not make anything worse, and this starts with water restriction. Make sure the patient isn't drinking a lot of water. Now here's the easy part about a patient with hyponatremia. We've identified the hyponatremia, and maybe we found a cause. Our job is pretty much done there. You can talk about starting gentle, normal saline hydration in the ED, but that only carries risks without any benefits in the short term. The danger with hyponatremia comes in correcting it too quickly. Even if you just give normal saline at a slow rate, you may run the risk of correcting the sodium too quickly, and that can cause permanent neurological damage. The term for this is central pontine myelinolysis. To break that term apart, central refers to the central nervous system. Pontine refers to the pons, which is very sensitive to sodium changes, and myelinolysis refers to destroying nerves. What happens is that the patient becomes accustomed to a lower level of sodium and adapts to it. When you flood the brain with a fluid that is higher in sodium content, then it gets into the brainstem and causes it to draw in extra water and swell, and this is no bueno. This can lead to seizures, coma, lifelong disability, and death even in a young person. So that is why it is important not to correct these patients' sodium quickly. In the ED, if the patient is alert and oriented, or at least at their neurological baseline, then don't try to correct their sodium. Most of these cases of hyponatremia will resolve on their own with simple fluid restriction. When you talk to the inpatient team, they may ask you to get a bunch of labs like urine sodium or urine electrolytes or other tests that will take a while to get back. Feel free to add on those labs onto the ones you've already collected in the ED to help out your inpatient colleagues. So that was the easy part, doing nothing. Although sometimes that really seems hard to do in the ED, right? Now here comes the harder part. How low of a sodium is too low? 
Obviously, if your sodium is in the double digits, then that person brought themselves an automatic ICU admission. If the lower limit of normal for sodium is 135, what about a patient who is 130 and asymptomatic? How about 128, 126, or 125? At what number do you have to pull the trigger and admit patients who are neurologically intact and not seizing? The answer is that nobody really knows. There is no good cutoff to say that at a certain sodium level, a patient has to come into the hospital. That being said, I'm sure just about every emergency medicine provider has used a new sodium level of 133 to help sell a social admit. For the internal medicine people out there, I apologize, but you know that it happens, and if it's what's best for the patient, then it's what we got to do. So anyway, here are my common sense guidelines. I would admit any patient with a new sodium level below 130 because it's just too risky to send that patient home. On the other hand, if the patient has a sodium of 125 and they have lived at that sodium level for years, then we shouldn't admit them as a knee-jerk if they come in for a chief complaint that doesn't require admission. Let's review that first section one more time. The first decision to make about a patient with hyponatremia is to make an assessment of their neurostatus. If they are awake and alert with no neurodeficits and not seizing, then throw on the brakes and do nothing. We'll talk about the seizing and altered patients next. Once you have established that the patient has hyponatremia, write a nursing order to water restrict them and tell the patient not to drink any water while they are down in the ED. The next step is to be a detective and take a good history. Medication changes are usually the ones to blame for hyponatremia, so ask about any new medications or any recent dose increases. Common medications that cause hyponatremia include thiazide diuretics and SSRIs. The street drug MDMA, also known as ecstasy, can also cause hyponatremia. Other causes of hyponatremia include CHF, liver disease, renal failure, and excessive alcohol intake. Screen the patient for malignancy by asking about any unexplained pain, back pain in an elderly patient, any pain that wakes them up at night, weight loss, or night sweats. Ask about any history of smoking because lung cancer can cause hyponatremia. If you find a possible reason for the hyponatremia, stop the offending agent and admit the patient. If the patient is alert and neurologically intact, don't try to correct anything in the ED. Don't start any normal saline, just admit the patient and be done with it. Trying to correct the patient's sodium can only cause harm. In general, strongly consider admission for a new acute hyponatremia of 130 or below, regardless of the cause. Now let's talk about the critical care associated with a patient who is hyponatremic. Before, we were talking about a patient who was awake and alert. Now let's change that up and say that you have a patient who arrives altered after being found down at home. They are protecting their airway for now, and you can rouse them, but they are altered. As you are getting ready to transport to get a head CT, your stat lab calls you with a critical sodium of 115. Just then, the patient starts seizing. Now, what's your next step? This represents a much different scenario. The patient needs a fairly rapid correction of their sodium to stop the seizure and prevent permanent neurological damage. So you'll want to do your usual ABCs and probably give some benzodiazepines, but the mainstay of treatment here is to give a sodium load to bring the sodium level up to the point where the patient stops seizing. How are we going to do this? The best way to do this is to use hypertonic saline. In most EDs, this is usually stocked as 3% hypertonic saline, 
compared to normal saline, which has a sodium concentration of 0.9%. You may hear people call hypertonic saline hot salts. What you'll do for these patients is to rapidly bolus 3 ml per kilogram of 3% hypertonic saline until they stop seizing or you reach a theoretical maximum of 100 ml of 3% saline. One thing I have noticed is that if you look in three different sources for the dose of hypertonic saline for seizures, you'll get three different answers. The key here is to give hypertonic saline in a controlled manner until the patient stops seizing. Most times, you only need to raise the patient's sodium level by 3 to 5 points to stop the seizures. So if you can't remember the dose of hypertonic saline in a critical situation, then start bolusing hypertonic saline in rapid sequential boluses. I would say a goal is to get 100 mLs into the patient in about 10 minutes. So push 10 mLs at a time, wait about 30 to 60 seconds, and then push another 10 mLs. Keep this up until the patient stops seizing. Another thing to remember is not to get tunnel vision. In these patients who are seizing, I would also try giving the patients benzodiazepines such as Ativan or Valium to try to help terminate the seizure. For the international listeners, those drugs are lorazepam and diazepam, respectively. You'll want to give benzos in addition to the hypertonic saline, because while a patient with 115 has a very low sodium, how do you know that they don't live at 115 and they actually have a primary seizure disorder instead, or another cause of seizures? Since you may not know in the heat of the moment, don't neglect the benzos just in case. However, on the flip side, for any patient with seizures, if you are giving lots of benzos, and the seizures aren't stopping, then you should consider hyponatremia as a possible cause. Hypertonic saline should preferably be given through a central line, but it can be given through a good peripheral line. What I mean by a good peripheral IV line is something like an 18-gauge in the antecubital fossa, not a 24-gauge positional IV in between the patient's knuckles. If the IV is solid and it flows well without extravasating, then you can give the 3% saline through that line for the initial resuscitation until you can get the patient to stop seizing, and then you can put in a central line. In emergency medicine, we always need to be prepared for not having the equipment or the medications that we want on hand. Let's talk about this scenario. You have that same patient with a sodium of 115 who is seizing, but you don't have any hypertonic saline available or will take a while to get made by the pharmacy. So here's a question. What is a medication that we usually have in the crash cart that can give the patient a big load of sodium? Think about it for a second. What crash cart medication has the word sodium in its name? The answer is sodium bicarb. We usually have sodium bicarb in our crash carts to treat TCA overdoses or hyperkalemia, but the thing to remember is that an amp of sodium bicarb has a concentrated sodium load inside of it. If you do the math, one amp of sodium bicarb has about the same amount of sodium as an equivalent amount of 11% hypertonic saline. So while this isn't the ideal situation to fix critical hyponatremia, it is something to keep in your back pocket just in case. As far as the dose, there is an established protocol to using sodium bicarb in this situation. What I would do is to take an amp of sodium bicarb and push it slowly until the seizures stop. Keep in mind that this ampule of sodium bicarb is about 3.5 times more concentrated than 3% hypertonic saline, so push the sodium bicarb as a slow bolus 
compared to the rapid bolus of 3% hypertonic saline. A standard ampule of sodium bicarb is 50 mLs. So let's do the math on this. If bicarb is about 3.5 times more concentrated than 3% hypertonic saline, an amp of bicarb has the same amount of sodium as 180 mLs of 3% hypertonic saline. So what about the patient with a sodium of 115 who is maybe a little altered but not seizing? What do you do for this patient? This patient will still require hypertonic saline, but at a slower rate instead of the rapid pushes as the patient before. If you have a patient who is just a little altered, then take that same 100 mLs of 3% hypertonic saline and run it over an hour instead of a few minutes. There is a formula to calculate the dose of hypertonic saline over the first 24 hours, but we won't go over that here. The reason why is that it's a cumbersome formula to use, so you have to look it up each time you use it, so you won't remember it anyway. However, if you're boarding a patient for a long time, then you should sit down and determine exactly what the rate of saline should be. Make sure to double and triple check this calculation because if you correct the patient's sodium too fast, they can end up having permanent neurological damage. I have heard about more than one bad patient outcome when a patient's sodium was corrected too quickly, so make sure to do this right. While we won't talk about how to calculate a slow sodium correction, here are two quick points to remember that I'm going to borrow from the MCRIT podcast on hyponatremia, which he borrowed from a review article on hyponatremia. It's called the Rule of Sixes. The first rule is six points for severe symptoms, then stop. This means that if you have severe symptoms, then look to correct the sodium by six points in the first six hours, then stop your correction until the 24-hour mark. Now, if the patient is seizing, then you may correct the patient by three to five points on their sodium. So you may be close to that six-point mark while the patient is still in the ED. So this is your cue to slow down the correction once the patient is stabilized. So one more time, that's six points for severe symptoms, then stop. The second rule is six a day makes sense for safety. This is for patients with chronic hyponatremia to make sure you don't correct them too quickly because they are the most vulnerable to problems if you correct them too quickly. So those two rules are six points for severe symptoms, then stop, and six a day makes sense for safety. Before we wrap this episode up, let's review management of the critically ill patient with hyponatremia one more time. If the patient is seizing with a low sodium, then give them rapid sequential boluses of 3% hypertonic saline. The exact dose is 3 mLs per kilogram of 3% hypertonic saline, and you want this to go in quickly until the patient stops seizing. If you don't have hypertonic saline, then you can use sodium bicarb in a pinch since it has the same amount of sodium as 11% hypertonic saline. Push that slowly since it is much more concentrated than the 3%. Remember, you may only have to raise the patient's sodium by 3 to 5 points to stop the seizure. You can give hypertonic saline through any well-placed IV line, but you should place a central line once the patient is stable. If the patient isn't seizing, but is altered with a low sodium, then give the patient 100 mLs of 3% saline over an hour. This will raise their serum sodium by about 2 points in an adult. If you need to board the patient for a while, then look up the formula for slow correction and make sure to get it right. As a guideline, there is a rule of sixes when it comes to how fast to correct sodium. 
The first roll is six points in the first six hours, then stop. And the second roll is for chronic hyponatremia, and it says six a day makes sense for safety. That's all I have for hyponatremia. I hope this will give you a good basis for dealing with hyponatremia in the ED. Before we go, I have a few announcements. First, EM Basic is now part of the ProMed network of podcasts. The ProMed network is a portal for a wide variety of medical podcasts in all sorts of fields. For the pre-hospital providers and nurses out there, the ProMed network has a lot of great nursing and paramedic podcasts available all in one place. So go to promednetwork.com and check it out. The next two recommendations are for some new websites that I think are great, and these are totally unsolicited from the websites themselves. The first website is emchatter.com. This is a website made by John Schonert, a third-year EM resident in West Virginia. His website is a collection of the best EM education on the web. You can sign up for a weekly email to get short summaries of the latest EM education on the web. Just go to emchatter.com and sign up. The last website I'll mention is the Shortcoat blog. This blog is made by Lauren Westifer, a fourth-year medical student interested in emergency medicine. On her blog, she reviews the big topics in emergency medicine, helps you wade through the literature on the topic, how to grasp the concepts that are never taught in medical school, and how to start thinking like an emergency medicine physician. She is posting some really great stuff that will educate medical students and residents alike. The website address is shortcoatsinem.blogspot.com. I'll post links to all the websites mentioned today at embasic.org. That's all I have for today. Until next time, this is Steve Carroll for the EM Basic Podcast, signing off.